0: Well, here we are this morning. I'm just going to finish off in this series, Jesus, the face of God, which we've been looking at over the last few weeks, starting off with a few questions. What is God like? What is God like? How can I get to know Him? Will He help me? Does He care? Now, these aren't stupid questions. These are real questions that real people ask because they have relevance and they're things that we want to know about. But they're questions that we can give quick answers to. For instance, what is God like? Well, God is good. God is love. That's something, but it's not an awful lot to go on, is it? But it is something. We can give a quick answer to, how can I get to know him? Well, you can call on him. You can seek him. Because he has said, call to me and I will answer you. Seek me and you will find me. So we can do that. Will he help me? Yes. God will help you. God says this, anyone who comes to me, I will not cast aside. He wants you to come to him. Does he care? Yes, God does care. He's full of compassion. He's full of love. So you see, we can give quick answers to these questions. But you know what? Just a quick answer. Okay, but it's not quite enough. How can I find out more? And, you know, that's the object of what we've been trying to talk about. We've been trying to talk about, well, Jesus, the face of God. But the point of this is that when we look at Jesus, we are looking at God. So you want to find out what God is like, we need to look at Jesus. What he does, what he says, how he behaves, his attitudes. We're looking at Jesus to find out what God is like. And when we do so... We find some answers. What is God like? We're looking at Jesus. And Jesus is doing these things. Jesus is God. First of all, sorry, I should have said that. Jesus is God. God. Jesus himself on earth. He said this, John 14 verse 9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And he said in John ten thirty, I... And the Father are one. There's no mistaking about what Jesus was teaching. He was saying, God is and me, we're one and the same. So you look at me, you see me, you see God. So when we're looking at Jesus and we're asking the question, what is God like? Then we look at Jesus and we see that he's compassionate. We see that Jesus is not judgmental. We see that he approaches all types of people. We see that he is kind. We see that he is merciful. We see that he is willing to help if we ask him. We see that he speaks the truth, but with great love and with great kindness. And you see, when we see that, we start to see, okay, now here's a bit more understanding to the question of what is God like. We have a fuller understanding as we see what Jesus was like. And we can get encouraged. Now, let's ask another question. Will he help me? Well, what do we see of Jesus? Jesus. And as we look at Jesus, we see that he helps sick people. He helps to make blind people see. He helps demonized people to gain their freedom. He speaks and helps poor people. He also speaks and helps rich people. Sinners, as well as the righteous. He meets all sorts of people. Jesus is dealing with his own countrymen. And he's also dealing with foreigners too. Jesus is dealing with the broken, the empty, the despised, the rejected, and everyone in between that or anybody else that we can think of. So as we look at Jesus, we see, yes, God wants to help us. God wants to help me. That's what we find. And that becomes personal, it becomes relevant, and we start to see, wow, this God, he is good. In fact, as we look more at Jesus, then we're so encouraged. I get encouraged as I see the whole range of situations that Jesus was dealing with and the people that Jesus was dealing with and how he reached out to help them. There was the widow. What? Well, there was this lady who had a young son, but she, she didn't have a husband, but now her son, her young son had died. And they were having the funeral and Jesus sees the funeral and he goes up, as it were, to the funeral car and he raises this lady's son back to life because he has compassion on her. There's the leper who came to Jesus saying, Jesus, if you are willing, will you make me clean? And Jesus just looks at him and says, I am willing, be clean. And he is healed. Jesus going to Jairus. Jairus was a synagogue ruler. He's called Jesus in because my daughter, my young daughter, she is sick. She's nearly dying. Please come and help her. And so he's on his way with Jairus and his wife to go and to pray and to help the daughter over her sickness. Hey, don't bother the master anymore. She's died. Jesus says, just have faith. And he goes and raises that little girl from the dead, to, uh, from the dead as well. There's the time when there's 5,000 people, at least 5,000 people, who are sitting on the mountainside and they've been listening to Jesus and his teaching. And Jesus realizes they're hungry. They've had nothing to eat. And here we are in the back of nowhere. They've got nowhere to go to a cafe and have something to eat. They've got nothing. Hey, what can we do? But there's from one boy's lunchbox And he only had a few fish and a couple of loaves. Jesus feeds everybody to the point where they had capacity. Because they had eaten as much as they wanted and they had a lot of food still left over. This is what we see when we look at Jesus. And this is what God is like. He has provision. He has care. He has concern. He has love. He is interested in every one of his creation. That is what we see in the life of Jesus. And of course, if you were one of the disciples, then you had been on the boat. And don't forget the disciples. Some of them were, were fishermen who were well-versed in the things of the sea on, late, on Lake Galilee. And as they're on there, the storm rides up. to such a, such a storm that the fishermen are afraid. Jesus has been asleep. Jesus, Don't you care? Don't you care? Jesus wakes up and he rebukes the storm and it goes quiet. And those disciples are just like, what manner of man is this? This is God. This is the God who cares. This is the God who answers. This is the God who helps us in our situations. And that's what we're trying to look at. And yet I want to point out this, and this is the main focus of today. No matter what situation or when we're looking at Jesus... We've still got to take those things that we're seeing and we've got to believe in Him that He can do that. It takes faith. It still takes faith. There's never going to be a point where you're not going to have to say, I've got to choose to believe this. I've got to take hold of it. I've got to trust in it. It takes faith. What is faith? The writer to the Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, Verse 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Or in the New Living Translation, it says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. Faith is taking hold of what we know about Jesus, what we see about Jesus, and believing it for ourselves. Believing that that happened, believing that Jesus existed. Now, we say that, but you know what? There's so much testimony to the fact that Jesus of Nazareth existed. But sometimes our minds can play confusion on us. Faith is taking hold of what we see and know and read about Jesus and we believe it. Why is it important to have faith? This is why it's important to have faith. Because faith is what pleases God. Hebrews 11 again, verse 6. Without faith... Listen, without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Faith is important, because it pleases God, and we want to be a people who please God with the faith that we have, with the trust that we have in Him. But you know why I'm speaking about this this morning? Not because and I'm not doing anybody down or myself down, that we aren't great people of faith. But faith is contended for, continually. It's not like, oh, I've reached a place of faith, that's it. It's you are continually working in your faith. Anybody who's married here will understand what I mean by marriage is the working out of relationships. It's not like when, we, you know, when you go to the altar and you get married for the first, that's it. It's magic. It's wonderful. It's, it's just sublime. There's never a problem ever from that point. Obviously, I'm not the only one. Please, please help me out here. Now we know that a relationship is a living thing, a vibrant thing. That's what makes it so wonderful. But, of course, we have ups and downs. You know what? Faith is a living thing. We have a living faith. Something that needs to be looked after, cared for, tended to, encouraged, strengthened. But let me tell you, if we're trusting in Jesus, it takes faith. It takes faith. Why? Because I'm talking about a God who cannot be seen. Yes, there's evidence for Him everywhere. But I can't see Him. But you know what? I can know Him. I can know the reality of Him. I can know His presence and I can see the answers that He gives in situations where I've prayed. I can know all of those things. So it's not faith without evidence, but it is faith that we have to take. And that's what I'm talking about this morning. And this chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, is a chapter of faith. And it tells us there many things. It says that by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. You see, we're believing that the world was made by God. It says in verse 4, By faith, Abel bought a better offering than Cain did. It tells us that by faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. It takes faith. It takes trust. And faith, as I say, is taking hold of what we have been told, what's been revealed to us, and we are believing it. We're trusting in it. That is faith. And as I say, it takes faith to get hold of what Jesus says. It takes faith. We have to receive it and believe it. And now I know that it can be a struggle, as I've said. It was a struggle for people in the Bible. There's the man who bought his son who was demonized to Jesus and to his disciples, in fact, because Jesus wasn't there at first. And he's trying to get them to heal him. Can you help us? And Jesus comes and asks what's going on. And the guy tells him, the father tells him, this is like, I've, my, your disciples have been praying for him, but they can't seem to do anything. Jesus says, bring him to me. And this question of faith comes up and the, the father's saying, I, I do believe... Help my unbelief. And you know what? I think that's a position that many of us are in. I do believe. Listen, strengthen me. Help me. Encourage me that I might be stronger in my faith. And as I say, there are struggles that we can have. But look, it's not just us, okay? It's not just you. When we look at the Scriptures, we see that people were wrestling in trying to understand who Jesus was. In trying to deal with him. In different situations this has happened. And if you think, well, that was those people who were with Jesus in the flesh. And they had struggles. Okay, we can have struggles too. Now, I don't say that as in like, okay, it doesn't matter. But it gives me encouragement to think our faith is contested for. There are struggles in faith. But we press through with these things. Let's have a look at three examples of people in the scriptures struggling, as it were, with their faith in Jesus. First of all, the people of Nazareth. And I'm picking up a story in Mark chapter 6. I'm going to read the first few verses in a moment. But we're just coming out of Mark chapter 5. And Mark chapter 5 finishes with this story of Jesus raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. So we've come into that, and this has happened a short way away from where Jesus is living, or a distance away from where Jesus is living. And so we pick up the story in Mark 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? They've seen these things. They're in awe of this guy. Jesus, who is this Jack? But then suddenly, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And it says they took offense at him. And Mark goes on to comment a little bit later on, Mark 6, 5 and 6. Jesus could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. You see, what had happened there is people are watching Jesus, they're looking at Jesus, they're seeing what Jesus does, and they're saying, this is amazing. But then you know what happens? Suddenly our minds kick in, hang on a second, but we know this guy. We know where he lives. I know his brothers and sisters. What's all this about? And suddenly our minds can kick in and completely can confuse us. You know, that was happening then. That happens still today. That happens with us. Because it's about faith. And our minds sometimes operate against faith. No, I don't want to believe that. I do only really want to hold on to the things that I can hold on to. Our minds can trip us up. And as we see, for the people of Nazareth, their minds were a problem. Hey, we know where he comes from. What is it they couldn't get to grips with it? Natural thinking took over them. Secondly, John the Baptist. John the Baptist A guy who came before Jesus, who prepared the way for Jesus, who in effect established a revival in the Jerusalem area, in Israel, and caused many people to actually say, I need to live properly. I want to live like the way that God wants me to live. So there was a real stirring about the teaching of John the Baptist, but eventually he gets put in jail. So he's seen all of these wonderful things. People were coming to God, renewing their lives, being baptized. But now he is in prison. And he's been there for some time. And after a while, he sends two of his own disciples to go and see Jesus. And they go and see him and they're bringing this particular question from John. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? What? This is Job. This is the guy who baptized Jesus and saw the dove come down. And he knew that that was the sign that God had told him about. When you see this happen, this is the one. This is the man. He'd seen that. He'd been walking with that knowledge and that understanding. And he'd been proclaiming, this is the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. And yet here he is saying, please go and find out. Ask Jesus this question, are you the one? Are you the one? Look, every one of us can come under attack in our faith. And we can get confused. That can happen. But what did Jesus do? So John's disciples are with Jesus. They've just asked him this question. So Jesus, it says, and I'm going to read to you from Luke 7, this story. At that very time... Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble in account, on account of me. The message going back to John is, John, be confident. What you have seen, or even what your disciples have seen just now, take hold of, trust in it, believe in it, receive faith from it, and just stand for it. And that's what we've got to do. When we're looking at Jesus, that's exactly what we've got to do. Take hold of Jesus, because he is God. And we can receive encouragement from it. But it wasn't only the people in Nazareth or John the Baptist. We see the situation amongst his own disciples. Amongst his own disciples there was confusion too. Particularly Philip. Or not say particularly Philip because there's also Peter. I can speak about a number of the disciples. But the example I'm going to use is that of Philip. Philip was one of the early disciples. Yes, Peter was selected and Andrew. But Philip was one of the early disciples. Uh, John 1 verses 44 and 45. Say, it says, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, the one about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, in saying that, Uh, Moses talked about, after me is going to come a prophet and you need to listen to him. The whole of the Jewish understanding was, we're waiting for the prophet that Moses has sent. He is the one. So when Philip is saying, we have found that one, in effect what he's saying is, we found the one who is to come. This is Jesus. This is the starting point and this is when Philip becomes a disciple. So it's not like, oh, I'm waiting to find out who you are. He said right at the beginning, I know who you are. You are the one that was expected to come. You are the one we've been waiting for. So that's the, the situation that we come into. But then, now we're going to John 14, where Jesus is talking with his disciples about the fact of whether they know him and whether they know the Father and all this sort of stuff. The stuff that we've been talking about. John 14, verses 8 to 11. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say to us, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least, believe on the evidence of the works themselves. You can almost feel, I I don't believe it was a frustration, but you can feel something in Jesus. It's saying like, Philip, for goodness sake, how long have you been with me? You've been walking around, you've seen all the miracles. You've seen the dead raised, you've seen the blind have their eyes open, you've seen lepers being healed, you've seen demons being cast out, you've seen people being transformed. What is it you're looking for? There's a sense in which Jesus is saying that, I think in these words. But he's saying, Philip, after all this time, don't you realize that I am God? I and the Father are one. Don't you realize who I am? And you see, Philip, having been alongside him, was struggling. Folks, we can struggle with understanding. We can get to a place where we're finding, wow, our minds are confused. Our minds are taking over. Is it really right to doubt this stuff? And you know what? In times like these, when there is pressure around us of change, of transformation, of difficulties, of frustrations, you feel the pressure rising. It's at times like these when we need to turn back and say, hey, let's go and have a look at what Jesus is like. Let's go and get ourselves secure on the rock of who Jesus is. Let's get our hearts anchored once again in the understanding of this is what Jesus is like. He cares for you. He has compassion for you. It doesn't mean that suffering is taken away. You look at the life of Jesus. Was there suffering? Yes. Was there rejection? Yes. It doesn't mean those things are taken away. But it means that we have one who sticks closer than a brother. It means that we have one who will never leave us or forsake us. It means that no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, no matter the circumstances, God is for you. He is not against you. He is the lifter of your head. He is the lover of your soul. He is your companion. He is your help and your strength. He is your shield. He is your provider. He is your right hand. It means that that is true. And we want to strengthen ourselves at a time like this in the fact that God is with us. But it takes faith. It takes faith. And we want to stir our faith. But I want to encourage you. Go back to the Scriptures. Jesus is the face of God. As we look at Jesus, we see what God Himself is like. And He does not change. So what He has done... He is able to do. Yesterday, today, and forever, He is the same. So we can take confidence in that for ourselves. And I just want to encourage you this week. Yes, we're coming to our time of prayer. But let this be a week of preparation and stirring. Let's not just say, oh, we're going to prayer. Let's stir ourselves and our faith that we come to prayer and we say, Lord, I know who you are. You are the great creator. You are the one who is sovereign over every situation. My mind wants to understand, but I can't understand everything. But I'm trusting in who you are. You are a deliverer. You are good. And you will help us. And he will guide us and help us all the way through to the end. Come to him. Don't be confused. But take confidence and strength in who he is. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.